your heart. It's very important that we hear from the ones that God wants to speak through. That's why it's important to wait on, wait on one another and wait on God in our meetings. Well, for those that don't know me, my name is Mike Ball. Um, my wife Faith is with me, and just one of our children is with us this time. That's that's the first time I think we've just traveled with one. We have eight children and uh, two that are still, I say, underage minors. He has a, Ethan has a sister that's 17, about to turn 18, and she, uh, we live in Mexico, we're, we work and live in Mexico, and we have recently come up from Mexico, and we took two weeks to travel from our place in Mexico to our place in Wyoming, and so <clears throat> that was recent, and so after the two weeks of being on the road, uh, both of our children, all of us, were tired of traveling, and especially the the one Viana who did not come with us. He was very tired of traveling, and and so the following weekend after we were we got home, we did have to travel out to. Well, we chose to travel out to our daughter's house, lives in Jackson, Wyoming, and spend uh, Mother's Day <clears throat> weekend with. With her, so she could spend it with her mother, and uh, so that we traveled for that. And then, so I told Viana, "Well, for this trip, yeah, I won't make you travel." So she's home with her her older sister. So uh, it's been two years since we've been here. Uh, we were here two years ago, and uh, last last year, last summer, when we were up in the states, uh, we didn't did not make it out to Missoula. We went, probably buzzed by Missoula once, maybe on our way to Oregon, but we didn't get to stop. And uh, so it's, uh, it's always something that's on my mind every year that we're up uh, to Wyoming for a few months. That um, The last few years we've spent the summer in Wyoming to be close to my parents. And uh, because of their health, we thought that was the thing we were to do, and so when we do that, generally we, we try to get up here, and so, but, uh, but it's always something that's on my mind to get up here and visit the fellowship here, or spend some time with the Vanoys, and so I'm just thankful to the Lord that we were able to do that this time, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a joy for us to be here with you saints, and to just see observe what God is doing, and that's always a privilege just to, uh, sometimes just to see what God is doing, not necessarily be the one that's involved in the doing, but to see what God is doing is, is alone is a privilege, and, and it's a joy. Uh, well, one of the sisters mentioned the uh, parable of the prodigal son, which 
Uh, in some of our Bibles, that's the title that's on there, the prodigal son. Um, and that's the only reason why I put it that way. The word prodigal does not come close to describing the problem with that particular son. <laughs> it was not just that he was prodigal, and if you don't know what that means, you might look it up. It, uh, in my Bible, the title says the lost son. That comes closer to describing him. So we're going to just look a little bit at that parable. But the, what, the, what, the subject that I want us to consider is what it means to be a son of God. Not by name, as God calls us his sons, or by birth, but what it actually means to be a son of God. So, um, to introduce the, that, the idea and the difference between being a son and being a son, <laughs> being a son by birth and actually living as a son, I want to, I want to go to... I want to go to Romans 8 first. In this uh, short passage that we're going to look at in Romans 8, 14 through 16, we see I think we can see two different aspects of being a son of God. So I'll read those verses. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now that speaks of a continuous life and actually a continuous lifestyle of being led by the Spirit of God. And those who are in, that are in their life... <clears throat> In their lifestyle and their living, they are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Okay, 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Just an explanation of that word or that phrase, spirit of adoption. Um, that word, that Greek word adoption, literally means Placing as a son or son placement. And, and I want us to kind of maybe get out of our mind our idea of adoption because our concept of adoption, of course any human adoption, earthly adoption, is first and foremost an, a legal thing. Uh, that whatever child we adopt, we have a family in our fellowship in Wyoming who has adopted some three children from Bolivia, and those Bolivian children, uh, even though they are adopted, they are still Bolivian in appearance, they're still a Bolivian in blood, they're still Bolivian in DNA, and even though some of these children were adopted at a very, very young age, they've been raised in a Christian home, their parents have observed in those children things that are in them by nature in their DNA or that they have received from the, their fathers and their, grand, their parents and their grandparents, things, traits that have been passed down through the generations to those children, even though they're raised in the same atmosphere, under the same teaching as their, <clears throat> their siblings, 
there is something different still in them because adoption does not take does not affect at all what's inside of the child okay in the in this adoption <clears throat> the adoption is not done by paperwork it's not done by any legal transaction it is a spirit it is the spirit of god that causes us to be sons of god so this is a this is a spirit this sonship that we're going to be speaking of is is a spirit it is a spirit there is a spirit of sonship that causes us to live as sons <clears throat> verse 16 the spirit itself who is the one that caused us to come into sonship that spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the the children of god <clears throat> so verse 14 and verse 16 we see two different aspects of sonship in verse 16 this is the holy spirit inside of us that is confirms to us and reminds us that we are sons of god it's something that we sense in the spirit but verse 14 has to do with our life in our life in our living out our everyday life the sons of god those who are actually living as sons of god are led by the spirit so the spirit is the one that initiates like the the, the signing of adoption papers by the parents and by those who are officially in charge of legally can do that it takes their signatures to make the adoption complete <clears throat> the adoption of the sons of god are done by the holy spirit that's the initial signing the initial entering into that sonship but the living out of that sonship is done by the same spirit that began that work of sonship so living out as sons living the life of sonship living as sons as jesus did is done by the holy spirit so <clears throat> we can be legally you might say or we can we can have been born again and that spirit is in us that makes us sons of god and we can live throughout our day without being led by the holy spirit which means we're not actually living as sons of god we're not actually living as sons of god so now i want to go to philippians in chapter 2 and then we're going to dwell a little bit in our minds on the the prodigal's the, the parable of the lost son but first in philippians 2 <clears throat> verse 12 wherefore my beloved as you have not as excuse me if you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless that you may be the sons of god 
without rebuke, that you may be the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye, the sons of God, those who are being sons of God before in the midst of the world, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now here we see the purpose of God making us sons as long as the sons of God are on earth. Now we know ultimately his purpose is to bring all of his sons into glory. Hebrews chapter 2, that's brought out. That is God's purpose. That was God's purpose in even sending his son to the cross and causing him to suffer, was having to bring many sons unto glory. But while the sons of God are on earth... The sons of God are to live as sons of God and in such a way that the sons of God are actually manifest as lights in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. So the difference in becoming a son of God and being a son of God in our life is that being a son of God in our life and our living means we shine, the sons of God shine. They shine forth as lights in the world, which is a completely under darkness. Now, there is a direct correlation between verse 13, the truth of verse 13 and the truth of 15. The reason we can shine as lights in the world of darkness and the, re- and the only way we can actually live as sons of God, blameless and harmless, in, this per- in the midst of a perverse and, uh, perverse and, rebel- and crooked generation, the only way we can live that way is, if God, is, is because of verse 13. God working in the sons of God, working His will and producing His will, and then producing the doing. I want us to, I just want to explain the one, the one word that's maybe in question here as far as a translation. In verse 15 is the word harmless. And so um, if you'll bear with me, I want to read from just the lexical aid of, on concerning that word <clears throat> that is translated harmless in the King James. And this is, this is what it says concerning that word. And, it's, and it really helps us understand what it means, what it means to be truly sons of God, shining as sons of God. This is what that word means that's translated harmless. Without any mixture of deceit, without any foreign material in him. Any foreign material in the son of in the sons of God. Now, what would be foreign? What could possibly be foreign in the sons of God? Okay, I want us to think about verse thirteen back in Philippians two, and then answer that question. What would be anything that's foreign in the sons of God? in light of the truth of verse 13. Anything that God is not doing and producing 
in me is foreign to the sons of God. It's not foreign to me, not to myself. <laughs> no, it's quite, it's quite uh, <laughs> received by self. But anything of self is foreign to the true sons of God. Because those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And in the sons of God that are led by the Holy Spirit, it is God who is working and producing. In Spanish, that, the word is produce. He is producing the will. And he is producing the doing. And anything that is other than that is foreign and therefore does not pertain to the sons of God. It's something that's corrupting the testimony of the sons of God. Okay. Now I want us to go to the, the, the parable that's found in Luke 15. We're not going to read it. I do want to highlight a couple things. But I want us to think about... These two men that are both sons, and I want us to think about the difference in the, the two as being sons. And I also want us to think about what they had in common as sons. The one, first of all, I, wanna, I want us to get the word prodigal out of our mind. Uh, I just want us, to, I want us to go over what happened. Okay, This son wanted to become independent and on his own and have in himself and for himself his own resources. Before he left home, before he received his inheritance, he was dependent upon the father, upon his father. He was dependent upon his father for everything and all things. But he knew that he would have an inheritance once his father died, but he wanted to enjoy that inheritance while his father was still living, while he was young, while the son was young. And so in, in asking for that and receiving that inheritance, now he could be on his own. That's why I don't like the name of the word prodigal, because it doesn't come close to touching the sin of this man. Because the sin that was actually in this man is in all of us by nature. We all want to be independent of God. And even as... Believers, we know we have an inheritance, and we have the Spirit. But in our everyday life, we can be just as independent as that man was from our Heavenly Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, in our living out in what we do every day and throughout every moment of every day. We are believing and trusting in Jesus for our salvation. We're trusting in Him for our forgiveness and our cleansing. But in how we live our life, we can live our life independent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the sin of this young man. So now he's independent. And I want us just to think, compare that to what happened with Adam and Eve. Okay, they, God wanted them to depend upon Him for all things, including knowledge. Now, we don't find this out in Genesis, but we have to go all the way up to, into Colossians to know where did God have knowledge for them, according to Colossians 2. Where were all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom and understanding, where was it contained? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. God chose to have it that way, that in His Son, would, would, and hidden in His Son, would dwell all fullness, that's Colossians 1, and the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians 2, but also in Colossians 2, it said it, would, it dwells in him all the riches, all the, the 
the abundant riches of wisdom and knowledge and understanding in the Son. Okay, that means they would have to walk with the Son, know the Son, live in, in, in and by the Son in order to have that. But what they did was they became independent of God and obtained on their own this knowledge of good and evil. So they had that in themselves. Now this man, he had in himself, and in his hands, in his pockets, in his bags, he had all the resources now. He could be independent of his father, and he could go out and live on his own and have in himself the resources that were at one time 100% and completely in his father. All the resources were in his father's hands. And as we see later in this, at the end of this parable, those things that were in the possession of the father were for the sons. He said, all that I have is yours. Okay. But this, so this, you know, this man goes out and he has all these resources in himself. And saints, I tell you, by nature, that's the way we are. We want to have in ourselves what is what is only for the sons of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So his sin is the same sin of Adam and Eve. Independence. Self-reliance. I have it in myself. So I can do my own thing. Okay, now this is what I want us to understand. They were both sons of this man. This man that left his father never ceased to be the father's son. There was no difference in their birth certificates. There was no difference in their blood and DNA to, dis, to make one a son and the other one a lesser son. They were both 100% sons of, the father, of their father. So let us not be content with just being called sons of God, as it says in 1 John. Because they're both called sons of God, and the one father who was at home, the father who was at home, loving his son in his heart. In his heart, he loved his son, but he could not love his son in any other way. He couldn't give him anything. He couldn't hug him. He couldn't embrace him. He couldn't speak to him. He couldn't commune with his son. He loved his son in his heart, but because the son chose not to abide in the love of his father, he lost out on all the benefits of the love of the father. So here he was, a son, not enjoying the love of the father, even though the, oh, even though the father loved him. And sometimes we can rejoice in the love of God, but we do not do as Jesus tells us to do when he's with his disciples, with his 11, and he says, abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in his love? Well, just understand the difference between those two sons. One stayed home. He had communion with his father. He knew his father. He talked with his father. He worked with his father. He worked for his father. He worked under his father. He was enjoying, abiding in the love of his father, even though we do see that he was still missing out on some benefits. So now I just want to highlight two verses here. Verse 21, Luke 15. And the son said unto him when he returns. And this is a repeat of what he said into him himself. In verse 18, he said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto my father. Verse 21, the son said unto his father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I do want to go back to verse 17 and 18. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and believed and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now what I want us to see from those verses, from the heart of this man, young man, is that he recognized and he realized he was not living in a way that was worthy of being a son. He was living in such a way that was actually lower and worse than the servants in his father's house. So even though he was a son, he was just as much as a son as he was before he left home, but he was not living as a son. He knew nothing of the living and the life of a son. He was living in a condition worse than a servant, than the servants, the hired servants of his father. So we could put it this way, his life was not worthy of a son. It was not even worthy of a servant. Now what we can learn from this parable concerning sonship is that we can, we can know within our hearts that we are sons of God and be living in such a way that it doesn't even come close to being worthy of a son of God. So I want to I wanna talk about living as a son, and I want to use the word sonship, the difference between being a son and living in sonship. Okay, before we leave this parable, I do want us to notice what this father said to this other son. Verse 31, and he said unto him, this other son that stayed home, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. That's, I just want to read that one verse. There is a, there is a lot of truth in this, these words of this father to his son for us. Now, I don't know if this reminds you of any words of Jesus. <laughs> it should. In the book of John, when Jesus is speaking of the future ministry of the Holy Spirit, he says this. He says, all that the father has has been given to me. All that is the Father has is in me. That is borne out in Colossians. But then he says, the Holy Spirit, what he is going to do with you, my disciples, is he is going to take from that, from me. What, all that the Father has given me is, in, is contained in me, and the Holy Spirit is going to take from that and give to you, and reveal it to you, and manifest it to you. And so the words... The words of this father are the same words that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves. All that the father has and is, is mine, is in me, and the Holy Spirit will take from me and give to you. And as, and as we partake of the fullness of Christ in our everyday life, then we live in sonship. And anything less than that is not true sonship. And even this son was not living in that. Because he's complaining because the father had not thrown a feast for him. And the father said, I could, I would do it, I could do it anytime you want. Because everything I have is yours. 
And so even this son fell short of living in the sonship he could have lived in, even though he was at home. But one thing that's key here, the difference between these two sons, is this. it says here, Son, thou art ever with me. And the other son was never with him. He had all of the, that, those resources, that inheritance was him, that was him by rights, by birthright, but he didn't have the father. He was never with him. The other son was ever with his father. That's the difference between sonship and just being a son and not in, walking in sonship. So sonship entails, based on this, and other scriptures, of course, it entails abiding and communion. Abiding and communion. We can be a son of God, and turn our back on God, not in our faith. We still believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but in our everyday life, we can be going about doing our own thing and, and living on our own resources. And so we're not really abiding in his love and abiding under his provision and under his resources. I want us to I want us to remind us before we go any further that the source of our sonship is is the Holy Spirit. And the 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 actually the spirit that, of sonship that we're receiving is the spirit of the son. It's the same spirit and the same sonship that we receive. I want us to go to Galatians chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 6. And I think that's all we're going to read. I guess we'll read verses 6 and 7, Galatians 4. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit. Which Spirit? Okay, it's the, actually the very Spirit of His Son in our hearts that is crying, Abba, Father, which just means Father, Father. If you, Abba is just a word, Chaldean word. It just means Father. But it's the Spirit of the Son of God that's in us that births this sonship and then carries sonship out. So that means if it's the Spirit of the Son of God in us, making us sons and causing us to walk and live as sons in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, then that means how the sons of God live should, and this is putting it lightly, should resemble how the Son of God lives because it's the same Spirit. It's like blood, the blood of siblings, is what they have in common. And, and so there's something common in that blood in the DNA. And now in, the, in our sonship, the one thing that makes us sons is the same spirit, and the same spirit produces the same life. The spirit, the Holy Spirit cannot produce in Jesus Christ 
one life and produce in the rest of the sons of God a completely different kind of life. Because it's the same spirit producing the same life according to the nature of that spirit. I want to be, what I'm going to be looking at is now Jesus Christ as the Son of God in his sonship. God, Jesus, you know, it says that we read in Romans that the spirit within us bears witness that we are the sons of God. Now, in Jesus' case, it was declared, there was a voice, an audible voice from heaven that declared and testified that he was the Son of God. And it also declared what kind of son he was, by the way, right? <laughs> he wasn't just the Son of God. No, he stressed... Uh, the Father did in this voice, that he was a son of God and that he was very well pleased with his son. Now, that may have been just for John the Baptist's sake. We know that John the Baptist knew at that time by that voice, okay, this man is the, the Christ, okay, the, the Lamb of God. Uh, I don't know if Jesus needed that voice or not. I don't want, don't want to enter into the unknown. But there it was, a voice from heaven that testified to whoever was there that he was the Son of God. And immediately the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. That's the meaning of that word. It drives him into the wilderness to be tempted. And the first, and I believe the second temptations, Satan says, if you're the Son of God. So I want to I just touch on the need for this sonship being tested. I don't know that Satan was trying to plant a doubt in Jesus about whether he was the Son of God. And I don't believe Satan had any doubt that he was the Son of God. So I don't think that phrase, if you are the Son of God, meant that there was any doubt in Satan's mind. Knowing the wiles of the devil, I believe this, that he was trying to get Jesus, who was the Son of God, and he knew it, to behave as something less than the Son of God. Now, in John 5, and this is one of the key verses for understanding the nature of sonship in the Spirit of the Son, which we have received, which causes us to be, son, be sons. You know, we can, you can do a blood analysis and DNA analysis and find out the origin of a person by their blood. Well, it's the Spirit that causes us to be the sons of God. Now, let's analyze the Spirit of the Son of God. And this is the Spirit of the Son of God speaking in John 5 and verse 19. This, this will tell us what it means to be the Son of God. And this is the very thing that Satan was tempting and testing him in. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. That tells us a lot about what it means to actually live as a son of God. Now this, that son that we call the prodigal son, he was going to do everything. Once he received his inheritance and left, he was going to do everything of himself. Not, everything, not only was everything about himself, but everything came out from himself. He went and he, he spent his money with his friends and using the resources that he had in himself. He was doing and acting and speaking out of himself. That's what this word means. It doesn't mean he's, I can't, he's saying, I don't, 
I, I cannot do anything. The son can do nothing that comes out of himself. That would be <laughs> no mixture. That meant there was no foreign material in the life, in the action, in the activities of Jesus. There was nothing of self because, according to Philippians 2, he had emptied himself. So, now I want us to think of these words. The son can do nothing of himself, but what, only what he see is the, sees the father do. So along comes Satan. This, of course, that happened before this, but this is an established principle in sonship. The son can do nothing of himself. He has to see first what the Father is doing, and then he enters into what the Father is doing. That's why Jesus, that might explain those seemingly harsh words of Jesus or response of Jesus to his mother in John chapter 2. His mother comes to him. He says, son, they need wine. And any other good, well-behaved son would have said, you bet, Mom, I'll, I'll do what I can. He says, he recognizes, no, the son can do nothing of himself. First, he has to see what the father is doing, and he will enter into what the father is doing. So first, he has to check with the father, and therefore, the, his response to his mother. Woman, what do I have to do, do with you? I have to do first and foremost and always with my father. And so he was checked, his response. And then later, the father showed him, and he was... He did what he did. But first, according to this, there was a law that he lived under. I, the son can do nothing of himself, even if it is to please his, his natural mother. He can do nothing of himself. He has to see what the father is doing first. So along comes Satan. Okay, you're the son of God. Now, if you're the son of God, there's no reason, there does not make sense at all that you're suffering hunger. Because in any moment, you can produce bread. Because you're the son of God, right? Right? Now, what he was doing was, in those words, it sounded like he was getting Jesus to show that he was the son of God. And this is the ironic thing. Jesus did show he was the son of God. How did he show he was the son of God? By not. By not doing something out of himself, out of his need for food. He did not change the stones into bread. And by not doing anything, doing at that moment something out of himself, although I'm sure his stomach and his body cried out for it, he did nothing of himself and he proved <laughs> that he was the Son of God because the Son of God can never do anything of himself. So the whole life of sonship is constantly tested both by the enemy and by God. Now, it says in Luke that Adam was of God. In, in italics, it says the son of God. So he was of God. So in King James, it says he was the son of God. I understand those were added, they're italics. But he was of God. He was birthed of God or he was born of God. And, I mean, his life came forth from God. And so as the son of God, he was tested along the same lines. And he acted out of himself when he partook of that fruit. He did not, he was, he, up to that time he was a son of God, but he did not act as a son of God. He acted independent of God. And he wanted to obtain something out from outside of God. It was a resource that was not found in God. 
It was found in something God had created. So this sonship is constantly, we're talking about a one-time test for Adam. And we're talking about the first test for Jesus, but he was constantly tested in this way. So next time he was tested, after those three testings that are revealed in scriptures, after those three temptations, is by his good friend Peter. So in that particular passage, Peter, not inspired by his own understanding, inspired 100% by the Holy Spirit, spoke forth words that were inspired of the Holy Spirit, saying, you are the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Anointed One and the Son of the living God. And it is interesting that Jesus, after he says, on this rock I'm going to build my church, he says, after this, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer and to be crucified. And this is in the same context in Matthew of of immediately following Peter's declaration and Jesus confirming his declaration that it was true. And not only is it true, upon this rock, I am the Son of God, and as the Anointed One, I'm going to build my church on me being the Anointed One and the Son of God. And then he says, after he says, I'm going to establish my, build my church, he says, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and suffer and to die, be crucified. And Peter rebuked him. Now, why would Peter rebuke him? Because he, it was in his mind, you are the Son of God, just like Satan. You're the Son of God, prove it. If you're the Son of God, there's no way you can die. There's no way you can be crucified. There's no way this can happen if you are the anointed one of Psalms 2. And if you are the Son of God, there's no way. And what does Jesus say? <laughs> well, no, actually, because I am the Son of God... It's necessary that I lose my life. And not only is it necessary for me as the Son of God to lose my life, it's necessary for anyone else that wants to be a Son of God, they must lose their life because if they're trying to protect and win and gain their life and keep their life, they're going to lose it. So there is a principle taught there. Because, Peter, because I am the Son of God, I have to go to the cross because it is my Father's will. And I can do nothing of myself. And because the Son always seeks the will of his Father and does the will of his Father and always pleases him, then, Peter, it's necessary for me to go to the cross. And precisely because I am the Son of God. So, and then the third time that he was tested along these lines that is revealed in Scripture is when he's actually on the cross. And the multitude says, if you're the son of God, what do they say? Save yourself and bring yourself down from that cross. So on three occasions, the, the issue of his living as, a, as being a son of God is brought into the temptation. But the, the, the ironic thing is, saints, is that the, the fact that he lived as a son meant that he did the very opposite of what Either Satan tempted him to do, or Peter tempted him to do, or the multitude cried out. It's the very opposite. No, he would, could say to that multitude, because I am the Son of God, and the Son of God can do nothing out of himself, and he must always do the will of the one who sent him. Because of that, I stay on the cross. Now, every day, we are tempted 
Because we live with self. We live in a body of flesh. We are tempted by our own self to not behave as a son of God. To do just one little thing out of self. And all it takes is one thing. All it would have taken was for Jesus to have made bread there in the wilderness, and he would have failed as being a son of God. He would have still been the son of God, but he wouldn't have been a son of God as a light, son of God, showing forth what it means to be a son of God there before Satan. He would have failed in being a son of God, even though he would not have ceased to be the son of God. And all it takes is for self to be allowed to produce something in me and come out of myself, something, even a word, and it brings in that mixture. (laughs) That word that's translated harmless, but it means no mixture. And And Satan just loves to see that mixture. You know, he can't take away from the fact that we're sons of God. He couldn't, he couldn't destroy the fact that Jesus was a son of God. And Satan can't get up into heaven, and he cannot take the spirit of adoption out of us, but he can very well provoke us to act as something other than the son of God, and then there's a victory for him. I want us to, I want to go to John chapter Six. I want to just highlight a couple statements by Jesus to show what it means to actually live as a son. Now, I want us. I want to make this statement before we read these. I wrote it down here. Sonship. And I, this will be borne out, I believe, as we read these scriptures. Sonship is very limiting. And it's very restrictive, and it is very constraining. Sonship is. Not believing I'm the Son of God, but actually living as a Son of God. We will find out from Jesus himself, the Son of God, that he lived a very limited and restricted and constrained life. But that living in sonship takes the sons into a limitless life that cannot be imagined And it's just as limitless as God himself. So there is a paradox there. This life of sonship is very limiting. And this is not my opinion. This this is what God, Jesus is going to teach us that. But we also know that if you look at the life of Jesus, it was limitless. I mean, just look at the change, uh, feeding more than 5,000 with a few loaves. Or changing water into wine. But remember, it was, it was restrictive because Jesus couldn't do it until he first knew that his father was in it. So he was limited. He couldn't just, out of natural love, he couldn't just please his mother. He was limited because he had first had to know what his father was doing. So chapter 6. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Do you see how limiting that is? Even though he was the creator and the sustainer of the universe, according to Hebrews, he's the sustainer. 
but as a sent son, a sent son. Because he was sent, he was limited to the will of the one who sent him. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will. Limited, restricted, constrained. Going back to chapter 5, I do want to look at verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. In verse 19 that we read first, it's what he sees in the Father. What he sees the Father doing. Here, it's what he's hearing from the Father. So he's limited in what he can do according to what he hears. He cannot do anything. He cannot say anything unless he's heard. He has heard, excuse me, unless he has heard from the Father. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will. So he never has a right as a son to seek his own will. That's very limiting. That limits us in our everyday life. We can never seek our own will if we're going to live as sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation where everyone else is doing their own will. We'll never shine forth as sons of God if we are seeking our own will, knowing we're saved, but we're, we seek our own will throughout the day. I mean, we don't want to do anything bad. We don't want to do any wickedness, but at the same time, we're seeking our own will. Then we're not much, it's not going to shine forth in contrast to those who are seek, also seeking their own will. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Chapter 6, verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. This speaks of absolute dependence upon his Father. Sonship requires absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I rely on him not only to have been born again, but I rely on him to be led by him to live to be able to live as a son of God. Jesus says, I always live by the Father. I do not ever live by myself, out of myself. I, I rely on the Father for everything. But he also then carry, brings us into the picture. He says, so he that eateth me, that fills himself up with me, that feeds off of me, that partakes of me, even he shall live by me. Absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ to live as sons. Chapter 8. I want us to see how Jesus limited himself. Verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but... And the but restricts him, limits him. But he that sent me, he is the one that is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Do you see how Jesus is just as human as we are? I know, I know we all have things we would like to say and even judge of people. And when we're with the brethren and we're with another brother that we might disagree with, we have things we might want to say that, that may be even of correction. Or with our spouse, we have things we want to say. This, go, this happens every day of our life. There are things that we want to say, but, but, Je, but Jesus puts a but in there. And that but 
is, is the limiting life of a son of God. The one who is true is the one who sent me, and therefore I only speak that which I have heard of him. That limits him to what he can speak. He's not just free to speak off the top of his head, or not even to speak from the depths of his heart. He has to hear. Be quick to hear and slow to speak, James says. And that's the way Jesus lived. He was slow to speak because he was hearing. We cannot hear while we're speaking. And he had to hear first before he spoke. And therefore, he did not always speak, according to this verse, what was in his mind to speak. Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when he was on the cross, would be on the cross, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing out of myself. Who would want to go to the cross acting out of themselves? If self was involved at all, he would have never gone to the cross. So in going to the cross, it's the ultimate proof that I never do anything out of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me. Why did the Father never leave the Son? This is remarkable. We might say, well, the Father never left the Son because he loved the Son and they were one and the Son was, he was his Son. It says here, the reason why the Father never left him is because I always do those things that please him. That's a rule of sonship. We cannot live as sons of God in a perverse and wicked generation and then seek our own will and do that which pleases us. It's, the light's not going to be there. Now we're going to jump ahead to chapter 12, and Jesus says it, again addresses this speaking. I think this is just remarkable how many times Jesus addresses the issue of the, the speaking of the sons of God, how a son of God speaks, how he is, you know, the Romans 8 talks about living under the law, the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. Well, that law is very limiting, very restrictive, because here we're learning that it, it, it controls my, it stops my mouth. It stops my mouth, the law of the Spirit of life. Even stop the mouth of the Son of God. Verse 49, chapter 12, I have, For I have not spoken of myself. It did not come out of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. <laughs> Very limiting. And I know Oh, and this is, the, this is the blessedness of it, of being living this way. I know that his commandment is life everlasting, including the commandment of what to speak. If I only speak what he commands me to speak, there is life everlasting in those words. I know that his commandment, which in, this, in the context is the commandment of what to speak, is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And that word therefore means he's, the reason why he speaks that way is because the, the life everlasting is found in the words of the Father that are in him coming out. Now, John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father? Now, we believe we're in the Son. We believe we're in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. But Jesus said, 
And of course, Jesus said the same thing of himself. He dwelt in the Father, and the Father in him. Now he says, do you believe it? And then he, said, and then he, he teaches them how they can know that he's in the Father, and the Father in him. How can you know? Well, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not out of myself. Not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So my speaking is just the, the evidence, the manifestation of what the Father is working inside. So I think we can get an idea of what it means to not, have, not be in the sons of God. To be a, a blameless and harmless sons of God means that in the sons of God there's no mixture. A mixture of what? A mixture of self. Simply, no mixture of self. Look how often Jesus set his self aside. I speak not of myself. I do nothing of myself. I came not to do my own will or to seek my own pleasure. Self and own is out. So, sonship is manifested in life. You know, the Spirit bears witness with us that we are sons of God, and we, and we read this, we can point to scriptures that's, that confirm that we're sons of God. But sonship is actually seen. That's what Jesus is saying in, in John 14. So if you don't believe what I, when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, just look, listen to my words and look at my life. Look at my works. And so sonship is manifested in the life of the sons. That's, what's, that's the difference between the, the one son and the other son. <laughs> the other son, I'm sure, could have been telling all of his friends, I have a rich father at home. He has hired servants. And then when he was living as a poor man and feeding the pigs, he could have, been, he could have said the same thing to his boss. So he used to know my father. You should, my father is rich. He's this great man. He has hired servants. So what? If he's all that, then why are you living this way? And, and so we can declare to others that we're sons of God, but our life can be showing something else. And what, what does that have to do with anything? That you're born again if your life is not showing that. And so sonship is, a, is manifested in life. Sonship is... The relationship with the Father on display. The relationship with the Father on display. If you do not believe because I tell you that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, look at my works and listen to my words. The relationship of the Son with the Father on display. That's sonship. And you know what? That's that's what God's purpose in making us sons is. So that he can have sons of God living as lights in this world, showing forth that they are in the Father and the Father is in them. And you know what's interesting? That's remarkable. And I don't understand this. Romans 8 brings us out how the earth itself, the creation itself, is groaning within because it desires to see some manifestation of the glory of the sons of God. And why is that? Because if we look at the scriptures correctly, we see that earth was created for the sons of God. Earth was created to be inhabited, it says in the book of Isaiah. And when God created the earth, for whom was he creating it? For Adam, the son of God, the image and likeness of God. Earth was created for the sons of God. And then he says that to Adam and Eve, now you multiply 
And you fill the earth. What would they have filled the earth with? Sons of God. The earth was created for sons of God, but now it's subject, made subject to vanity, and it groans within. I don't understand that, but that's what Romans 8 says. And it's just waiting for the man to be seen, the glory of the sons of God. And, they, and it says the earth is one day going to be changed and enter into that same glory of the sons of God. And so that's why God has his sons of God on earth, so that the glory of the Son... S-O-N, can be manifested in the sons of God. But in order for his life and glory to be manifested in the sons, the sons of God have to live this way. (laughs) There aren't different rules for the sons of God than there were for the Son of God, and I don't know if I like the word rule, but Jesus did live under certain principles and laws, and he said the Son can do nothing of himself. And that was a law that he lived under all the time, even when he was 12. You know, he told his parents to... You should have known that I must be about my father's business. So, even though it is very limiting and restrictive, sonship brings us into a limitless, unknown, unimagined life. The glory of the Son of God actually manifested in us in so many different ways we can't even imagine. Now, the enemy is always seeking to limit that manifestation of the Son of God. You know, Satan, I know sometimes we think, well, Satan just wants me to doubt that I'm the Son of God. It goes further than that. He's quite content, even though I know I'm a Son of God, if he can just get me to live as if I weren't a Son of God. Because he has rule and authority, he has dominion in this earth. All the, the whole world lieth under the wicked one, or in wickedness, and they're under his, his rule of darkness. And the only light, this is borne out in John 1, the only light for man is found where? This is the opening verses of John 1, we should know this. The only light that God has designed for man is in the life of Jesus. In him is life, and that life is the light for all men. It's the only light for man. (laughs) So the only light for all those people under the dominion of Satan is the light of Jesus in the sons of God. And if Satan can get to cause us, cause to be diminished in us, that light, which is his life, then he's quite content. And so, you know, that verse, admonition in Jude... Contend, oh, I can't think of the word in English, I think of it in Spanish. Contend fervently, that's probably not the word, for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And so Satan is against this kind of faith, the faith of the Son of God who never did anything out of himself, never spoke out of himself. That faith is what we are to contend for because the, there's constant attack against that kind of faith. He may never get us to doubt that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But to get us to not live this kind of faith that the Son of God lived in, he's constantly, and he has an accomplice in self, right? He has an accomplice in, in self that we are to deny, and the old man that we are to recognize as crucified. So, sonship is a glorious thing. It's literally a glorious thing. Because God 
desires to show forth his glory in the sons of God, and we have been called. The sons have been predestined to be brought into glory, the glory of the Father and the glory of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says we have been called to his eternal glory, but after what? <laughs> after you suffered some. <laughs> That's a principle. He says, We've been called unto the, the, his eternal glory, 1 Peter chapter 5, but after and only after we suffer. And you know the Son, that's another law and principle we didn't get to. It says in Hebrews 5, even though he was a son, and he was a son, even when he was taken to the wilderness, he knew he was a son. Even though he was a son, yet he had to learn obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect through all that, then he became the author of salvation for those who what? obey him. And so that's what sonship is also entails, his learning, learning to be obedient through the things that God, the sufferings that God brings, and learning to be dependent upon him in those sufferings also. Let's pray. I don't know if Randy's going to get up here to close, or, but uh, I'd like to pray. Father, so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only is our example, he is our, the author and finisher of our faith, he is our, the life and the force and the power to be able to live as sons of God. It is his spirit that can enable us and cause us to shine forth and live as sons of God in the world of darkness. I thank you for that. I thank you that all of the resources for this life of sonship is available to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his person, in his life. And as we are rooted in him and we root our life in him and we build our life upon him and we walk in him, then we partake and we are made complete in his fullness. I thank you for that provision. I pray, Father, that you would stir in us the desire to be, to actually live as sons every moment of, of every day, to actually live and walk in sonship so that you can see in us, you, first of all, see in us the Son, the life of the Son, and that even the angels and the powers and in, in, in high places, that they can see in us also the life of the Son. And then our fellow human beings that your, the life of your Son would be on display in our lives, that we would have nothing less than that, the desire to walk in that. Thank you, Father, for your abundant provision in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. No, I was very clear. Anybody want to confirm it? something I mean our life's going to confirm it or not but it does say we're saved by the what does it say the word of God and the word of our testimony we love not our lives on the death so it's not that we have to try to make it say it any better than it was said I don't know if it can be said better but possibly could be but I I can't say any better I just say thank you
thank God for his word, and it is from Christ. In the very beginning, there was one, one thing that really hit home to me, and um, if anybody else has something, it would be good to just, you know, share something, hit home with you. Um, <clears throat> I think he kind of started out with the lost son, and the lost son... It's interesting the word it calls it lost son. So he went out and he was, he got his inheritance, but he wasn't with the father anymore. He wasn't with him. He was independent, and in his independence, he lost everything that he had got from his father until he come back. And then Adam, we heard a little bit about that. He lost everything he had too. He had everything, and then he. Got his independence, and he lost everything, too. And then I'm just a few things to talk to me. Uh, the spirit of his son. He's put forth the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there's a spirit that said that he never became independent, never did anything with himself. So most of us have done something of ourselves since we asked if we ask or we surrendered, we tried to surrender the best we could to the Lord. But sonship, he brought out, as I understand, you correct me if I'm wrong, sonship is where that we're not doing things of ourselves. I'm not independent of God. I'm not independent of what he wants. And then I think the scripture comes in quietness and trying to think how it's worded. Quiet and confidence. That could be our life. Otherwise, we we um, aren't quiet and confident, and so we go out to witness, or we do our daily life, or with your with your children, your wife, or my wife. Then um, I'm not in rest, and I'm critical. That's what me and my wife have been kind of working on the last uh, two or three couple of weeks, I guess now, maybe three weeks almost. So God puts His finger on something. We don't have a right, we can reject it, but then what happens? We'll be like the lost son again in that area. <clears throat> so I thought it was very good. I am sorry that I haven't always walked in this truth. It isn't that I've never heard it before. I've read it. I've probably even tried to preach it a little bit, but not as clearly. But Will used to teach it for years, a brother that was here Till he died, and it's a sort of a life that's not very popular for the natural man. So if we're going to keep my rights, and I'm going to receive my inheritance so I can do what I want, then this kind of a gospel is kind of foreign to most people that God's been working their lives, and he works in them. Seems that God works in people's lives to the degree they give their life to him, but he really wants us to be disciples, and this is what a real disciple is. I don't know, that's, that's the way I would explain it. Would you explain it that way? Is that okay? Okay. So any, any, anybody else want to say anything? I just, sometimes for me when I hear something, it does seem to actually help when I say something about it that I can confirm with my mouth that, that I want what God just said to my heart. So it seems to be a help, so... Merlin, smile, and you have something you'd like to say? It was, it was uh, a good insight into 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just to, you know, be in, to abide in Christ and just mm-hmm. be in communion with Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. Amen. Go. I mean, it was a been in uh, systems, churches, years and years of this man saying, this is what you're going to do that now, and this is what you're going to do next. I have a hard time with this because we're used to man telling us what to do and tradition telling us what to do. But no, it's the Father that's going to speak to us. Mm-hmm. This is the way you walk in. Mm-hmm. And it takes the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to hear the voice of the Father mm-hmm. saying, I want you to say this now. I want you to do this now. Mm-hmm. And it is very restricting, but it's very free. The other one is very restricting in every way, because you won't be doing what the Father wants you to do. You want, you're going to be doing what your tradition and what the man, mm-hmm. the preacher wants you to do. Mm-hmm. So this is awesome. This is this is this is having Jesus Christ as the head of the church, yeah. and the head of every man. And it's powerful. Love the way you go on. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I want for me, and I want to see it. I want to see it at the body and the church. Mm-hmm. So. Amen. Thanks for sharing. Sister Julia. The calling of God. When you hear it, Simeon, when you're young, God's working in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And you can't do it in your own strength, and I can't either. But we can trust our life to him. And he's got a good boat that he's let us get in. Amen. You know that life of not of nothing himself. That's why Jesus, the, the freeing part, among other aspects of the, the freedom, was that at the end of his life on the night before he went out to the garden. You know, he told his disciples, "The prince of this world has come. He's coming now." Mm-hmm. I want to tell you something. He has nothing in him. Amen. And the reason why I'm going is because I'm subject to my father, and it's the father's will. But he has nothing in me. Mm-hmm. That's because there was nothing of self mm-hmm. in Jesus when he did or said. So therefore, he could tell his disciples that mm-hmm. uh, his closing state, one of his closing statements. Mm-hmm. He has nothing in me. Yes.
I think you want to say something, David. You just don't know how to say it, but go for it. David, <laughs> Brother David, I think there's something working in your heart. You want to say something, but you don't know how to do it, but go ahead and go for it. <laughs> That's what you want to say? Amen. That's good. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I don't know if I quite quoted that right. Yeah. Well, Sam Sr., you got something there? Amen. Amen. Do you have something, Marissa? I couldn't tell. You're happy what you heard, though? Okay. How about Josiah? Was it encouraging? Amen. That's so when it's mixed with faith in your heart and my heart, then it starts changing us, right? Amen. You're smiling, honey. Does that mean you want to say something or are you just happy? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And that's what we heard. And it's just a high calling, is all I can say. It's such a high calling. It's easy to lose heart when you just look. But then it says, If by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, yet neither were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I have apprehended of Christ Jesus. Because this is all it is, it's apprehended. This is what he's apprehending me of. There's nothing else, really. I can have other things, but this is really what it, the deal is. Rather, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this, so this one thing I do, wretched as I am, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, no matter what the devil's telling me. He has called us, he says, who also will do it. <clears throat> well, if you have something, don't withhold it because it might be something that will help somebody else. Well, thanks, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Lord, for being here. 
Amen. You want to pray for the food, and then um, we'll move some of the chairs around and have some physical food.